0: So investing heavily into the vetting and and hiring process is key much more than the hire fast, fire fast mentality companies have at our stage, because here um, the amount of time you need to invest into someone to onboard into blockchain is a lot. So in that perspective, uh, that doesn't work so much. So we're more of investing extremely like a lot into the vetting process and actually filtering out people and finding the correct candidates.
1: Welcome back to the Scaling So Far podcast with me, Dan Keynes. I had such a brilliant time speaking with Bogdan Havitch, co-founder and CTO of Blockchain Infra Startup, Tenderly. We chat through their approach to hiring and developing engineers globally, enabling the team through knowledge sharing and investing in the hiring process and why it's so critical at the stage they're at. They recently raised $40 million in a Series B round following 400% year-on-year growth, which is pretty staggering, so congrats to the team on that. If you're in the blockchain industry or passionate about scaling tech and engineering functions, do give this a listen. Excellent. Bogdan, really pleased to be chatting with you today. First off, thanks for joining us on Scaling So Far podcast. Great to have you with us.
0: For our listeners, can you tell us a bit about yourself to kick things off? Sure. So first of all, thanks for having having me. Uh, So I usually like to explain myself as a too much information type of person, as in... (laughs) Probably each form of human expression has been abused so far, so much by far, uh, by me to actually say things. As my mom would say, I would probably talk on my elbow if it could be possible. But yeah, uh, from a professional vocation perspective, I'm the co-founder and CTO of Tenderly. So uh, last 10 years has mainly been me uh, working on distributed systems problems, which is mostly what we do here inside of Tenderly right now. Uh, prior to Tenderly, I was part of a startup that got acquired by GoDaddy at some point, and then was part of Celsius, which is like the lending platform on uh, on blockchain. Uh, I was one of the tech leads there, and then we started Tenderly, basically what we we're going to talk about today. So yeah,
1: excellent, thank you. So you co-founded Tenderly. You mentioned. Um just there a moment ago. So that was back in 2018, if I'm right. Um, Can you tell me
0: a bit more about um, the sort of mission and vision for the organization? Sure. So um, it first started as like scratching your own itch type of problem. We started actually as a hackathon project that did a completely different thing than what we're doing right now. And then the Tenderly that you see right now was actually us building internal tooling. And we found out that we enjoyed doing that much more than the initial project we set out to make. And yeah. then we discovered from a mission and vision perspective, uh, as we truly believe blockchain is uh, the next big step when it comes to computation and, and everything around that. Our mission and vision is to uh, lower the barrier to entry because this space will not succeed unless great minds enter the space. And right now, the barrier to entry is extremely high. So Tenderly's vision and mission is to enable people to work on blockchain as easily as with other technologies in the, la- in the past like 30 years, basically
1: excellent thank you so i'd love to, i'd love to hear what the journey has looked like for you and your fellow co-founders from having that idea through to finding product market fit and raising in july last year and now being 30-odd team members is that right yeah. so how did, how did yeah. that look
0: yeah so uh the initial tenderly and that's actually a really interesting trivia always of how the name, uh, how the name came to fruition so the original tenderly was actually a public procurement platform on top of blockchain And uh, public procurement in Serbian is called Tenders, so the name Tenderly, which we thought was quite funny at the time, uh, (laughs) came came into existence. But then we started working on the internal tooling, open source, some of those things. uh, Had like four GitHub stars, which is absolutely nothing, but that was more than enough for us to think, hey, we might, it's a strange decision, but like let's quit our jobs and try to make this into a company. <clears throat> so basically, um then we pivoted into the internal tooling that we enjoy working much more on, plus that was much more aligned with what we did in GoDaddy and previous companies, which was mostly enabling other teams with infrastructure and everything else around that and then, when it comes to the journey itself, <clears throat> hackathons have been uh, an extremely huge part of our culture, so basically uh. We were bootstrapping Tenderly for, well, two two and a half years, something like that, by basically going to hackathons uh, and uh, spending the money that we win on hackathons to fund Tenderly, basically. Oh, wow. (laughs) So we won uh, 13 or 14 first or second places on hackathons and used those winnings to, to basically fund Tenderly. Now that we're not participating in hackathons anymore, we can share that the secret sauce is actually to sleep. Everybody does like four hours of sleep basically gives you (laughs) a first or second place. It's quite easier than we thought initially. But basically, uh, we're working on hackathons. um, And then when it comes to product market fit, again, hackathons were really important because what we would do, we would travel around Europe uh, around blockchain hackathons and then try out new ideas. And then if we win a place and enough people approach us and enough VC approaches about the idea, we would see that as a signal that it might make some sense. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to product market fit in general, I think it was a bit easier for us because we weren't building tools actually for us as in other developers. So we knew like some of the pain points, but actually 70, 60 or 70% of Tenderly was completely done by user feedback, as in mm-hmm. in the previous company, the one that got acquired by GoDaddy, which was called Um uh, we were thought almost (laughs) indoctrinated into knowing that like you should always listen to users and user feedback was like king for everything. So from day one, literally Tenderly had like an in-app chat and anything anyone would ask, we would at least write it down, but usually try to actually make it into a feature like in in a couple of days. So finding product market fit was basically just listening to people, feeling pain and then trying to alleviate that pain. And then when it came to funding, at some point, I really think funding is a side effect of bringing value. I think funding shouldn't be the goal of the company. I think bringing value should, and then funding funding is like an accidental thing that happens because of bringing value. Again, huge air quotes on the X accidental, but <laughs> but it should it should be perceived as such because I think then the main focus isn't like bringing the number of your like the valuation of your company up, but actually bringing value. So then in uh, beginning of last year we got pro- approached by Point Nine. we already had like an existing relationship with them where we were like doing regular check-ins around how we were doing and they said like hey guys we like the progress and like everything else that's happening do you want to do a seed round and then uh <laughs> closely after uh so seven days between the money lending and then uh, between signing the series a-, a term sheet was between 0.9 and Excel. But during the due diligence process, we were approached by Excel, um, cool. asked like, if we want to do a series A. We thought, I mean, it's too early, as in like we, it has been like less than a month from signing the term sheet for the seed round. Um, and we thought that we don't need any more money. And they said, yes, it is true, you don't need any more money, but the expertise you can get with this is much higher and bigger. And then we actually took a step back, started thinking, and then actually saw the actual big picture. We thought that we saw the big picture, but we saw only yay big. It's like much, much, much much bigger. Uh, And then through the whole process of a bunch of conversations with them and everything else, actually saw what Tenderly can be. It's something much bigger than we uh, originally envisioned. So we did the Series A with Excel as well. And yeah, right now we're 37, 37 team members right now.
1: Well, cool. And following that funding in July last year, there was a big push to recruit engineers and business people to support expanding your global footprint. I'd love to understand what your hiring approach has been since then, some of the processes and initiatives that you've focused on when it comes to scaling the team, and how have you
0: um, had to adapt um, from those much earlier stages? Sure. So in the earlier stages, <clears throat> we had a very wrong assumption that hiring isn't the full-time position because you're just <laughs> doing interviews. <laughs> so at the point where your calendar is filled and you're actually having a tough time um, differentiating, differentiating between candidates and everyone else. Uh, one of the things that actually uh, Pavel from point nine was uh, saying actually from day one is that to hire a recruiter or a talent manager to help you out. Mm -hmm. So when we did that, that's uh, Nevena, when she joined the team, you could see (laughs) like, Tenfold, not just the output, but like the quality of the process itself. Because believe it or not, hiring is a full, is a full. Well, oh no, I can. I, I'm with you mm. on there. That's yeah. what I do. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, that's like one difference between like being seven people and right now is actually having someone who owns the process, uh, works on it constantly, and and adapts it. Um, that's one. And then when it comes to hiring uh, engineers and business talent. Uh, for engineers, it's it's a bit easier for us, as it like for all four of us are engineers, so we can like establish some baseline a bit easier. But here it's very important because how I at least is from a technical perspective separate tenderly is like sixty percent is like just standard software development, twenty percent of it is like standard uh, software development with like a small modifier because it's blockchain, and then the last twenty percent is something actually knew that we're the ones doing it for the first time so you basically are hiring for that 20 percent because those people usually know to do like the previous 80 percent yeah so investing heavily into the vetting and and hiring process is key much more than the higher fast fire fast mentality companies have at our stage because here um, the amount of time you need to invest into someone to onboard into blockchain is a lot so in that perspective, um, that doesn't work so much. So we're more of investing extremely like a lot into the vetting process and actually filtering out people and finding the correct candidates. And then when they come investing also in their education and everything else, but yeah, a sure. huge emphasis on the selection process, basically.
1: That's good to know. And this sort of ties into my next question. So what are you really focused on for the next 12 months as
0: co-founder and CTO at Tenderly? Sure. So those are two hats that are, overlapping by a lot but some of the things they need to focus are kind of in dissonance to one another. So definitely one is scaling the engineering team. The idea is by the end of the year for the engineering team to have around 60 people. (coughs) So that's definitely a hard job Um, especially because uh, right now we're hiring mostly senior engineers but to have senior engineers you need to hire junior engineers as well to produce new senior engineers like globally. So investing also into internal education, we have been thinking a lot around that to basically fast-track junior developers into like what is a senior, at least from our, our perspective.
1: That's so that's definitely
0: one focus. The second one is uh, scaling up the product suite from a technical standpoint. As right now, having more people, we can paralyze more, but when you're moving fast, things happen to break. So definitely not forgetting that we are a platform as a service product in the end, and then we don't have the benefit of breaking or not loading or everything else. So trying to optimize for velocity, but also not losing the stability. That's the second thing that's mostly on my mind. Mm -hmm. And then I would say those are the two main ones, like from a CTO perspective and then like from a co-founder perspective, um, keeping the culture and we'll talk about this, I guess, a bit later, but keeping the culture that we had so far, because when so much pe- so many people are joining so fast it's uh, very important so the culture should definitely change with new people i mean they, we are uh, we want to them to join the team to influence the culture but also keeping like the initial things that made tenderly tenderly if that made sense absolutely absolutely yeah, yeah that that's like one focus and then the second <coughs> focus is more business development and strategy as in uh, how to expand more in the verticals that we are right now discovering new verticals as well and yeah
1: Excellent, and as co-founder and CTO as you said this is really overlapping quite a bit for you getting the right right high quality talent into your team is super critical um, to the success of the product being able to achieve the milestones and your roadmap so what's your approach to partnering with talent acquisition in order to achieve your goals you mentioned earlier on that you realized this was a this was a full-time job so so how do
0: you how do you make sure you're working with talent acquisition yeah. to to make sure you're achieving we definitely found out that you can build a whole company around this, basically. So people are actually doing this for a reason, basically. So um, I think there's two parts to that question. The uh, first one is uh, hiring key hires slash leadership. That's one. And then the second one is hiring uh, hiring the rest of the team who is also pushing that vision that that is kind of made by the leadership team. In the first one, it's definitely important, especially, um, for example, in Serbia, the go-to-market talent is lacking when it comes to our type of product. As in, it does exist for consumer type things, but for a B2B infrastructure platform or uh, as a service product that we are, it's lacking. So definitely working with talent acquisition to help us scale globally, because I know a lot mm-hmm. of engineers in Belgrade. They are in Belgrade. So it, it's kind of a double-edged sword there because the engineers are good. There's like a finite amount of people. So working with talent acquisition in general to help us scale and actually make Tenderly into a global company, which is like one of our missions, that's one. So that's for, and definitely then when it comes to leadership and everything else, helping us to find people who have um, a vision and mission or at least um Driver that's similar to ours or compatible with ours so we can basically pull the company together. So yeah
1: Excellent, thank you very much for that. The world of blockchain is incredibly exciting and ever growing But with that comes the need for very niche talent who at times needs very specific skill sets How do you not only attract the right candidates but assess whether they're right for your team at mm.
0: So we're kind of coming back to those 20% basically that we, yeah. that we <clears throat> mentioned so <laughs> the first thing that we had to forego quite early on is that we will find people who know blockchain, as in the types of problems that we solve are mo- mostly like distributed system problems. I'm, I'm going sure. I'm, I'm to approach this for both from the engineering perspective, but then <laughs> business, business role perspective as well. From an engineering perspective, it's mostly distributed systems problems, which are extremely hard. A lot of people don't find these problems interesting, <laughs> even though I myself investing a decade into it think it's extremely <laughs> extremely fun. So uh, attracting people from the, we call it web 2.0 world, but people who work yeah. on cloud technologies and similar, uh, attracting them and then basically showing this as the best place to learn about blockchain is the approach yeah. that we're taking right now. Because currently in Belgrade, if you took like, all distributed systems engineers who know blockchain, probably like 60% of them are in the company, but out of those 60%, 80% knew nothing about blockchain when they entered the company, basically. So it's basically making yeah. <laughs> the talent <laughs> that we need. I'm guessing that's like
1: one part of it. I was gonna say, it's really interesting, I quite and it's just a general comment rather than rather than the cut-in. I think it's, it's interesting what you're doing because lots of organizations go down this tick box exercise, especially when they're scaling, they need everything. And then they spend what they spend six months, twelve months trying to hire when they could have actually got those people with the right, you know, (laughs) trained up to the right skill sets in that period of time.
0: Yeah, I think it's a very, um, it's a much more saner approach because, again, especially for engineers, you need like at least like three to six months to actually become productive. Mm -hmm. In that time, you can also onboard to a new to a new industry or a new domain. So instead of searching for, as you said, six months, twelve months, and then Worst case, failing and seeing that the person is in the correct fit. Here, we can both measure if the person is the correct fit for the team, but also onboard the person to blockchain. So you kind of overlap those two things. And I think it's it's much easier. And then especially from the perspective of uh, more junior people, uh, soon, hopefully, we will have a person from academia who was actually one of our best teaching assistants from a couple of us here from the same college, wow. join the company to work literally on onboarding junior developers into Tenderly and on blockchain in general, and everything else, because again, all senior engineers have been junior engineers at some point taking only senior engineers doesn't make any sense, especially like from a local ecosystem perspective, but also from a global ecosystem perspective. So intentionally investing into making those professionals for the future is something that we're doing. That's like for the engineering side of things. And then, yeah. And then for the business side of things, it's also similar, especially when it comes to marketing. I think um, the space is, close enough to similar bleeding edge technology, like AI, ML, IoT, and a couple of like cloud and a couple of other things we saw like in the past decade. So close enough that it looks like that, but the person needs to be able to take a step back and actually see those differences, because those differences can actually kind of kill the company if handled incorrectly. So yeah, from the business perspective, there's a lot of money in the space, but Also, the space is very young, so it's really very strange because there's like a lot of capital from business investment and all other (laughs) perspectives. So knowing how to operate there and not be like a kid in the candy store, I think is very important (laughs) for for business people. Excellent.
1: Thank you. And I know you're incredibly passionate about enabling your team and knowledge sharing. So as a leader, how do you go about um, embedding a culture of knowledge sharing amongst your team and what are some of the rituals and practices you have in place to enable that?
0: Sure. So um, I would kind of actually even rephrase the question. Uh, as a general company value, and like the main one is uh, we say ex- extreme transparency is actually key, because knowledge sharing is actually a subset of extreme transparency, although an active, not a pro, uh, not a passive subset. From that perspective, inside of the company, uh, all meetings are either recorded or have meeting notes. All calendars are open or se- all salaries are completely transparent. You um, like to joke, but it's actually true like an employee tenderly can actually find out how much money we spent on toilet paper last month if they want to. <laughs> <laughs> excellent from that perspective, uh, the first thing that you need for knowledge sharing is actually access to information. <clears throat> so that part kind of influences for all people to like write documents in public collaborate in public, so all of that. So that's one thing that is kind of a prerequisite that's needed for uh, knowledge sharing in general. And then from the perspective of processes and rituals around that information or on top of that information, uh, there is passive knowledge sharing, uh, as in people teaching each other stuff during like general interactions, but like from things that we have like on a certain cadence or, or similar, uh, definitely demos. One interesting thing um, for engineers, we have tech talks. So when somebody works on something interesting or is researching something interesting, sharing it with the whole team. Uh, again, all discussions, both business and engineering happen in, in the open in written form, which is very important to have a trail, but also inviting everyone in the company to participate. Again, not from a democracy perspective, but from a meritocracy perspective, of course, my thought about something marketing is worth much less than for example andres who's the ceo around marketing yeah. but still a junior engineer should still have input for something because if we're targeting other junior engineers their perspective is also very important absolutely so tech talks uh or similar similar type of uh sharing information like in front of multiple people and then um Also, it's mostly mostly everything around written form and collaboration in the open. I think that's like the the most important thing. And then finally, we do a bunch of uh, talks. Like, again, I think picking correct people is picking other people that will at some point leave your company to start their own. Those people always perform very well. So we actually overshared and i mean this is a good thing the whole process around the investment and funding and everything else basically having this like as a little startup school again air are quotes i mean but sharing, sharing all of that information with everyone like so people again okay. i really hope like a couple of people here actually leave the company in five years and start something successful on their own and then on twitter have like extenderly proudly like as a sort of a Actually, yeah. an emblem that they did something interesting here and that it helped them start their own thing. So yeah,
1: that's nice. I really, I, I love that ethos. I absolutely love it. I think it's great. So, um, what have been some of your biggest learnings when it comes to building teams? You know, whether in found, whether it was from founding Tenderly or previously likes of
0: GoDaddy. Mm. Uh, I think it's different. Again, uh, this is my first startup as a co-founder, so everything I say here is an opinion, is in a rule. Very important, very important to preface. So, uh, taking it from the perspective of GoDaddy, which is like a much larger company that uh, that existed for a much longer time, um, I think there it's um, much more work around accountability or enable teaching people in the team and and by leadership, showing them that accountability and driving something is important because in large systems, it's kind of easy to go by without having any accountability at all. So I think learning that and from that, creating new managers like future managers who will actually show that to other teams as well. So I think that was one. And then in the startup, kind of when there isn't like, especially when there was like between seven and 14 of us you have to own a thing even if you're not good at it because there's just sure. like there's a finite hands on deck amount of hands of deck um so it's more less that but it's actually um uh, optimizing for correct things at the correct time i think that's like one usually like what's an mvp or like what's an 8020 solution to a particular problem um and then here what we did a huge emphasis from like building a team is um Actually, all of our engineers, as an example, are doing customer support. Not because we don't want to have a customer support department, but because they should feel the pain the customer feels. Because that, That's great. that creates empathy towards towards customers. This was actually learned by us accidentally in in managed WP. I was. Um, the engineer that was nearest to support. So everyone for, from support was coming to me to ask things. And when you hear how many things they hear from customers, it starts to hurt you. So you want to fix things, you want to make things right. So you develop empathy and then make better product decisions like as a side <laughs> effect of that. So in a startup, I think it's extremely important for all teams, not, not just engineering, to be extremely close to the customer, talk with the customers. So involve people in in conversations, group chats, group emails, whatever uh that's one and then the second one is yeah thinking um in terms of product and again this is very important for all teams thinking in, in terms of product and not their own vertical i think is really important as well excellent that's good to
1: hear i love some of the stuff that you're talking about that sort of reinforces that transparency piece as well Yeah. um and any advice that you you've seen bandied arounds that you'd love to dispel or warn fellow tech leaders to avoid so any pitfalls to be aware of, be aware of when it comes to building and scaling products and teams in a in a fast sort of growing scale up environment such
0: as yourself? sure uh, i think uh, first one is as a leader so this isn't something that should trickle down to people in your team but as a leader uh, the fact that you're making something new as in like starting a company and scaling that cannot be an excuse for making a toy, as in making things unstable and like, oh, we're just starting out, so it's okay for this not to work. It's okay for this to break. Yes, it is okay, but you you yourself shouldn't ever use that as an excuse for yourself. This isn't something you shouldn't force down to your team because that would be extremely toxic, micromanaging and everything else. Mm-hmm. I'm more talking about internal conversations that you have with yourself during shower <laughs> when you lay in bed or, or whatever and then especially between other people in leadership i think that's one uh, the second one which we saw which i saw in a, in a couple of companies again uh, being an engineer it's extremely easy to forget you're building something for other humans because in yeah. the end even if you're making an api which is used i mean by a program basically at the other end that program was again written by a human being so the whole product and customer thing that i mentioned is extremely important basically one of those things i'm ready to die on a hill on is for engineers to be exposed to customers as much as possible going to conferences talking to people that's the second one and then the third one um, for tech leaders engineers aren't hired to write code code is the necessary evil that needs to happen for a problem to be solved so if you're hiring people to think that thinking can go outside of engineering. So involving them in discussions around marketing business product, again, from a meritocracy perspective, not the democracy perspective, very important, but involving them in those conversations, you can actually get a bunch of interesting solutions to problems that you would never think of yourself, just because it was like an engineering approach to a problem, similar to how product people can sometimes think of a very interesting product solution to an engineering problem, it can go vice versa as well. Yeah.
1: something that's coming through quite clearly in your answers is is going back to we talked about transparency we've talked about culture earlier on and something i've seen when i've been in scale up organizations myself um, when it comes to that culture at some point you're going to go boom from a headcount perspective as it looks like you are already. um how do you you, you talked earlier on about um and tell me if tell me if I mis- misinterpret this, but you, you want to protect your culture, what, what what was tenderly, what is tenderly, but therefore evolve it with new people coming in. So how how in your mind do you think you'll be able to do that? So that you know, the, the big risk when you scale is that your culture fractures. So so what would you do to try and sort of keep the core of that culture whilst evolving it and protecting it?
0: Sure. Um... Two, two parts to the answer of the question. <clears throat> the first one is I think never to make exceptions. If you have a feel <clears throat> to make a section, an exception around a certain category of a problem, you should challenge the system. So never challenge the decision, challenge the system. Because I think how people start disconnecting from a culture is when the company itself or other people in the company other embo- aren't embodying it. So if let's say tomorrow uh transparency becomes a problem and not from our perspective but from all employee perspectives like if employees are constantly censoring 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 maybe that isn't our culture anymore so i think evolving in that perspective although i think transparency is the most important um, important piece of culture so this was more like a synthetic example so again challenge um uh, not making exceptions and then challenging the systems not decisions that are made by the system itself that's i think one thing and then the second thing is not having <laughs> i've been part of companies that have like 16 values which i'm quite sure even the ceo cannot <laughs> name them all um uh, having only like less than a handful of of values that you can use basically to make decisions in in any point in time is extremely important and that's also from a focus perspective so here we organize around initiatives and then if any person here is asked to do something they should see if in aligns with the values and then overlay or with the initiatives overlaid by the values again mm-hmm. if everyone is thinking like this and then if somebody mis- misbehaves in this system they probably did it for a reason just talk to a person nobody is in the company to do bad things they just did a thing due to something other than happened so basically investigate and see why that happened and then either fix it or change change the way that you do things basically so i think that's again there's only 37 of us i have no idea how this will look at 200 people um but what we think again is those two things if kept in mind correctly will scale this in a good way excellent and if there's one thing that you could wave uh,
1: a magic wand that and fixed when it comes to building and leading tech teams, what would that be?
0: Uh, thinking that, thinking that uh, engineering is the most important thing. Uh, so I know this is a very <laughs> polarized thing to say, the least, especially like as an engineer. But um, really, while making the startup, we found out like the whole "build it and they will come" mentality is definitely faulty. That's like the first mm-hmm. thing. The second thing there also is. Yes, engineering is extremely important, but product is extremely important as well. Uh, I remember my manager and in, in manage WP and then GoDaddy once said a thing that a couple of people got uh, sad when they heard, but it was inspiring to me when he said, Engineering is the instrument in the, hand, in the hands of the product. And then people felt that engineering is less important, but the sentiment there isn't that. It's that one cannot function without the other. So if you look at all of the verticals in the company, um and i mean this is for everyone else but again you ask like to wave a wand and 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 remove like the tech uh, tech side of things what people think in the wrong way um engineering is certainly an important piece of the puzzle but as important as other pieces of the puzzle as well so removing that elitistic uh, uh or elitism part of of approaching a problem and seeing that we are all in this ship together it's not just the people building the ship Absolutely.
1: So, a couple of light-hearted questions to bring our chat to a close today. Is there anything that you're super passionate about um that you really find um, un- unapologetic amounts of joy? And this can be, of course, professional, personal, or both.
0: Sure. <clears throat> so, from a professional, uh from a prof- yeah, I'll give you two answers. I tend to too much information. Yeah. If you remember from the uh, no, you're all good. <laughs> yeah. From a professional perspective, I think I could never give up talking to people and customers. Um, I and basically seeing again because uh, in previous companies again we were building things that other people were using to build other things. So like those of like passing shovels where other, while other people are digging are digging. Um, I think I could never lose that. As in, I would be extremely unhappy if I ever lose that. And then the joy—we just came back from a conference. The amount of joy I get from talking to people and see what other people are building, and then especially if in some capacity they're using Tenderly to build those things, um, it means a lot. So yeah. that's like one. And then from a personal perspective, uh, definitely music. It's it's one of the most Excellent. important things in my life. I'm quite sure if I wouldn't be doing this, I would be in the music industry in some way, shape, or form. So a uh, huge amount of joy in music and something something. I'll never hopefully lose. So, yeah.
1: Excellent. That's good Good to hear the balance. And is there a thought
0: or value or phrase that you that you live by? Sure. Uh, if you asked me this four years ago, I would probably just parrot something I read off of internet or some <laughs> self-help book or something else. A thing while working on Tenderly that became extremely apparent and it is a sentence that comes to my mind constantly um, is uh, – intentional trade-offs so to be completely honest in in my head it's intentional sacrifices but it's intentional trade-offs again each decision is another decision that wasn't made every day so like am i going to drink water or coke zero it's still like a trade off being made that kind of influences how things are going to happen um every time when when there's even a small decision that needs to happen especially around tenderly i i think like what should be the intentional trade-off here so i'm definitely making a trade-off i need to identify it so again in my head it's intentional sacrifices but it's like intentional trade-offs
1: excellent that's something i'm definitely taking away from this meeting not the only thing i should stress <laughs> Bogdan, but that's definitely one i'm taking away i think you're absolutely right so um, Bolton, thank you very much for your time today it's been really uh, really interesting and um uh, and, and fun conversation it's been it's been a pleasure speaking with you so thank you very much for your time and thank you for being on our podcast
0: thank you so much i i definitely had a lot of fun and uh, fun and i had a lot of fun that can be a fun actually yeah <laughs> <laughs> that that wasn't that wasn't un, un, intentional but yeah that wasn't an intentional trade-off but yeah anyway uh thanks for having me had a lot of fun and then hope we can talk uh, sometime in the future to see how things change in the meantime absolutely brilliant awesome. thank you thank you